Hi there everyone, A Squared here again with another episode of a- The Atypical Anesthetist. My tagline is, I'm not the usual brown doctor. Well today's special guest, I would say, is not the usual brown Muslim scholar. I have with me uh, a band that I am very proud to call my teacher, a person who has um, had a big impact on my life and um, I'm very very grateful for him to have taken time out of his busy schedule uh, to speak with me. This again is a bit of a part of the religious deep dive. Um, we've done our best to try and keep the terminology um, to a minimum um, but unfortunately there are times when we do get a bit jargon heavy if you have any questions you know how to contact me on the twitters and the instagrams um, so without further ado have a listen to this next episode good afternoon good evening good morning wherever you are listeners thanks for the atypical listening to the atypical anesthetist podcast and i have a very special guest on with me today uh, my tagline is that I'm not your usual brown doctor. So I found someone who's not your usual uh, brown Islamic scholar. Uh, a person I'm very I'm very thankful to call my teacher, uh, Sheikh Sidi Muhammad Iqbal. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How do we find you on this uh, unseasonably cold day? <laughs> Did it snow where you were? We had snow, we've had sleet, and it's uh, minus something. <laughs> so, great British weather, eh? you know. Last day in um, March, that's not bad. Yeah, true. Get all four seasons in a day, eh? Hey? True. Okay. If it had happened yesterday, it would have been a joke. <laughs> it would have been April Fool's Day. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, it is. Yeah, because it's April, April the 1st tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And it'll be Ramadan as well. Uh, a month of fasting. Uh, inshallah on Sunday. Ah, because you, uh, you follow the uh, Moroccan sightings, don't you? Yes, because um, tomorrow's tomorrow is the 29th, so Muslims should be looking, you know, tomorrow night if they can see the crescent. Okay. Um, the forecast is that they won't see it. Mm-hmm. Unless, you know, there's a cesarean birth in the middle of, you know, um, <laughs> the desert outside of Riyadh, you know, the one-eyed um, a Bedouin sees it. So, alhamdulillah. Yeah, I mean, um, that's, uh, it's interesting, actually. I had a, I was working with a Pakistani doctor today, and it, she's only yes. been in the country for about three, four months. And okay. um, she said to me, um, so when exactly is uh, uh, Ramadan going to start? You know, is there like a central authority and this, that? And I just burst out laughing <laughs> because it's like, <laughs> okay, you've you only been here for the last couple of months. Trust me, this is an old problem. It's been going on yeah. for a long time. You know, this thing of central authority, if there was a central authority, then, you know, because um, we have this um, problem every year. Because people will quote you till, you know, the quotes are coming out of your ears. That, you know, the thick books say that, you know, if um, two upright um, uh, male 
Muslim see uh, physically see the crescent, then that their testimony should be accepted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is we have no central authority that can um, convey the news that the crescent has been seen by two upright people. And um, every country makes the announcement for their own country, not for any other country. Mm-hmm. And for the last hundred years, we've had, you know, uh, the colonial um, powers, you know, drew lines in the sand and those have become borders. And um, we have, you know, independent countries, independent governments, which um, uh, are looking after, you know, the pe- their own people and they make those announcements for their own people. But, you know, in the diaspora where, you know, where uh, we are, you know, in Western Europe or uh, um, wherever um, uh, in America or Canada or wherever, uh, we do not have any central authority that will make the announcement for us because mm-hmm. we are that, you know, well organized. Um, we can make sure that, you know, our children get halal food. Well, let me take that back. We're very organized so that, you know, I will get a halal lunch, you know, when there's a council meeting or a government meeting. But, you know, we can't organize um, a central authority to look after, you know, um, uh, such a mundane thing as, you know, announcing yeah. um, the crescent has been seen. Yeah. So it's the beginning of the month. I mean, you know, it's been going on in, in for entirety of my lifetime. Um, and I have a feeling it's not going to change any time soon. Um, I just try and stay with my local community, really, to be honest. Um, just for, for the sake of ease more than anything else, you know, and last thing you want is even more division, I suppose. The thing is that, you know, the uh, whole thing of division, um, okay, when do we have a, ever have unity? So where we should be, you know, thinking of um, not having division. You know, over a hundred years ago, um, uh, Imam Hajawi, you know, um, some a scholar who had just, you know, qualified from the Karween, mm. um, and um, in early 1900s, his first ever fatwa uh, after qualifying was, you know, to give the opinion that, you know, the Muslims of England should not follow the telegram that comes from um, uh, Egypt sell, telling them that, you know, the crescent has been seen. They should um, uh, take the announcement of the Moroccan government because that is the closest Muslim country and Muslim authority. Um, and that's what I go by. Mm. Um, I, I, I have seen, you know, um, uh, some positive steps that, you know, if if I live long enough, uh, I will change my mind uh, because Muslims have organized themselves that uh, every month they go out and they look for the crescent in the UK and um, quite often they do cite it. Mm-hmm. So uh, slowly but surely it's moving into the right direction where, you know, the Muslims will be, um, they'll have the expertise to uh, tell the Muslims in the UK that the month has begun because the crescent has been seen or the month has not begun because the crescent hasn't been seen. So we're waiting another day, Mm -hmm. literally. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And uh, like the Moroccan government, they do it every month. They have over 200 um, qualified Navy personnel that um, look for the Crescent uh, from the top of Morocco to the bottom of Morocco. And then all that information is collated and the Minister for the Undersecretary for the Minister for Religious Affairs, he sends a fax out um, to all, you know, the um, Muslim institutions that have registered with them that, you know, the Crescent has been seen or not seen. Mm. And um, the Minister himself makes the announcement um, uh, in, the, uh, in Morocco. But as I said, I can see, um, alhamdulillah, you know, there are uh, a lot of people um, taking, you know, small steps, not major steps, small steps, but we're all going towards the, uh, you know, um, where we will have the expertise to say, look, uh, we cite the Crescent uh, every month or we don't cite the Crescent every or it's not been seen. Yeah, so it, local sighting, uh, uh, robust local yeah. sighting uh, protocol, as it were. Yeah, so um, alhamdulillah, you know, um, rather than, you know, um, relying on the one ma- one-eyed man in the middle of the Arabian desert, um, that's what happens, you know, um, uh, by the way, in Spain. That's what Muslims of Spain do. Okay. They don't rely on Morocco. Okay. They first and foremost... Um, uh, they have, you know, um, arranged it that they will go inside the Crescent, even as far as, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the islands mm-hmm. uh, off um, the Spanish, uh, around the coast. Okay, okay. So, inshallah. Yeah, so, how does um, a young man from uh, central Punjab... Um, yeah end up with such a strong affinity and experience of North Africa? Right. Uh, I think um, you need to go back to 1978. Uh, Young man, early in the morning, at um, Newport train station, um, goes to buy a ticket to uh, to London, mm-hmm. and um, uh, the guy at you know the ticket booth um, looks at me because I was young, you know, wet, wet behind the ears, and he goes, um, "How much have you got?" So I only had a fiver. I had five pounds. He said, "It'll get you to Birmingham." It won't get you to London, because I'd heard of London, and um, I was 16 and a half, and um, he gave me 50p back, and I caught the train to New Street, arrived early in the morning, didn't know anyone, didn't know much about Birmingham, but I'd heard of Stratford Road and, you know, Pagame Islam, because we had some books published by them, Okay, and... Um, so I had 50p left and I found out which bus would take me to um, Stratford Road. 
So I kept looking through the window. There were there wasn't that many black faces about. Mm. I mean brown faces about. So I didn't get off the bus. I came back to town and wandered round. And um, anyway, cutting the uh, that's how I ended up in Birmingham. Uh, if we move forward to um, 83, 1983, uh, I'd lost, well, I didn't lose my job, uh, job. I left my job because um, the guy that had, uh, I was working for, um, I started washing dishes and I ended up running his restaurant and managing it. And um, I found out he hadn't been paying my tax or national insurance. Mm-hmm. And um, because I used to work, um, you know, with the tandoor, making mm-hmm. the ton, uh, the sea kebabs and tandoori chicken and all that, uh, it, it, it was affecting my chest, so I left. And um, then I found out a lot of stuff. Um, the guy was, again, uh, I'm thankful that, you know, um, I didn't know anyone in Birmingham and he gave me a job and a place to sleep and um, everything else. So in 83, um, I'd read uh, all the books on Islam in the um, Hansworth Library. Okay. What, and, um, what motivated you to uh, go to the library and check them out? I've, I'd always been a bookworm because, you know, uh, I was brought up by my aunt and... Um, God bless her, you know, she's passed away, so, you know, I can only speak good of her. And um, she wouldn't let me watch TV. So she was okay with books. So I used to have a book downstairs and I used to have a book next to my bed. Uh, I was a bookworm right from the word go. Mm -hmm. And um, I I was fascinated by, you know, Indian history, Mm -hmm. ancient Indian history. Uh, that was because, you know, uh, there used to be a subject called humanities and the Welsh teacher used to take the big out of, look, we went and civilised you a lot and um, it was a village and, um, you know, he was talking about Bombay mm-hmm. and um, when we left it, it was, you know, a metrop- massive um, metropolis and so on and so forth. And... I really want, so uh, I began with the Indian civilization and worked myself up to the Mughals mm-hmm. and when the British came. And um, the history books, I could, couldn't get to find out, you know, what the lifestyle, you know, of an average Indian was, because the history books didn't tell you that. They would tell you, you know, this king, that king. And um I wanted to know a bit about Islam anyway. So uh, I, uh, Hansworth Library had, you know, certain books. There was one book that, you know, um, I finished it. Uh, I got it at the beginning of the day and I did not go to sleep till I, till I finished it because, you know, um, uh, Martin Ling's, you know, the biography of the Rasul, mm-hmm. Muhammad, based on his earliest works. Yeah. As a storyteller, it was such a powerful story. Because he was telling you a story, and he just 
pulled you in. I, I stayed up all night and I read from the cover from beginning to end. And then, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and um, so the end result was I was limited by, you know, language because I, if I wanted to know more, because, you know, Martin was saying based on the earlier sources, but he was, you know, giving me English. Mm-hmm. For me to access the earlier sources, I needed Arabic. Because mm-hmm. what I had done, I had gone to night school by that time and um, learned Urdu because I wanted to learn, uh, read Punjabi, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, so I found, you know, um, this um, poster. Um, someone called, um, uh, uh, no, a place called the Islamic Resource Centre in um, uh, Balsall Heath on Court Road. Um, and and Edward Road, I think it's Edward Road. Anyway, Court Road. Uh, they were doing um, uh, Arabic. So I went and um, I started studying. The teacher would charge you, you know, a pound for a lesson, which wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. And um, I studied, um, I began uh, with the Alif Bar, and um, then um, I learned how to recite the Quran from him. I studied under him nearly six years. Um, and Alhamdulillah, you know, wasn't an ideal student, but, you know, um, uh, the foundations he laid for me were the ones that, you know, helped me to study further. So the teacher's name was Sidi Abbas and um, he was Moroccan and um, he was the one that um, introduced me um, to, you know, North Africa, but specifically the person of Imam Malik Rotolan. How that happened was um, I used to, my local mosque was um, a Hanafi Brailvi mosque and the other um, mosque was, you know, a Dilbandi, uh, Hanafi Dilbandi mosque uh, on Holly Road in Handsworth. I would pray at both. And um, there was a, a very charismatic um, uh, scholar there who used to lead the prayers, Indian. And I have never begged anyone as much as I begged that uh, Molina to teach me. Because, you know, I was just drawn into um, how uh, he, he literally, you know, um, what the Prophet wasallam said that, you know, um, certain speech has, is magic. Mm-hmm. Um, he would just pull you in um, when he was um, speaking. Uh, he, he, I tried my best, but, you know, he wouldn't teach me. And um, then, you know, I started learning Arabic and um, I asked Sidi Abbas, um, look, I'm Hanafi. I um, pray at these two mosques. And um, if I ask the uh, Imam at the Brailvi Hanafi Mosque, um, he gives me the opinions of, you know, the Brailvi scholars. And um, if I ask the Dubandi, Hanafi Alim, and he gives me the Dubandi scholars' opinions. But uh, when I asked um, 
I want to know the opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa, that's all I get. So what should I do? So he said, why don't you get the translation of the motto of Imam Malik? And by that time, you know, when the Norwich um, community, the Norwich um, Maliki community, um, they were Tarqawi, Tariqa, they had translated the motto of Imam Malik into English. Mm-hmm. And um, the Imam of um, uh, Regent's Park Mosque had um, uh, said it's a good translation and uh, written an introduction, accredited the book. To me, it was revelation because here you had, you know, a scholar who was transmitting directly from someone who had met the companion and the companion was transmitting from the Rasul. And he would transmit these point, uh, narrations and then would say, out of these, this is the one I do prefer. So to me, that was, that's what I ended up with and that's become my mushroom, you know, my drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, through um, Sidi Abbas, he introduced us to something that had never come across before, which was, you know, um, gatherings of dhikr. Mm-hmm. And, um, it wasn't, you know, Sidi Abbas who told me about him. It was one of, you know, my uh, fellow students, um, Sidi Dean, who said, have you heard of these people? I said, no, have you ever? So why don't you come and... Um, because, uh, you know, when you're single, you're looking for company anyway, because <laughs> you're not. <laughs> and um, so there were people, you know, of, of, you know, the same age, some actually younger, but, you know, more or less not that younger, not that older. And um, it was, there were Yemenis, there were um, Africans, there were, you know, um, uh, Afro-Caribbean people, white people, Pakistani people. So it was a melting pot. It was, you know, wasn't just one culture dominated. Everyone was there. And... um, they very sincere people, and um, Abdullah liked what he, I didn't, you know, know much about it. But um, then through Sidi Abbas, um, he introduced us to his um, spiritual teacher, who was, um, uh, you know, the great Imam um, uh, Sidi Hamza Al Qadri Al Budshishi, you know. Um, Allah benefit us by his knowledge and understanding, mm. who passed away, you know, in 2017. And um, that's how, you know, I ended up um, being introduced to, you know, North Africa, because in North Africa, they follow um, the school of um, the people of Medina. The other name for it is um, the school of Imam Malik. Mm-hmm. And um, through him, I was introduced to the school and um, guided to, um, you know, Arabic. And then, you know, Sidi Hamza himself uh, insisted that, you know, if you follow, a, first you should follow a school within the 
Sunni right, and then um, his preference was Imam Malik because he himself was Maliki, mm-hmm. and he said, "You've got to study, you know, um, the texts of Ibn Ashir and um, the Sira of um, uh, Sidi Khudri Bak, which is called Nurul Yaqeen, uh, for." For hadith, um, the Arba'in of uh, Imam Nawawi, mm-hmm. uh, progressing to the Riyadh of Salihin, and finishing with um, uh, the Sahih of Imam Bukhari. Um, in Tasawf, um, the Hikam of um, Ibn Atala Skandri, uh, with the commentary of um, uh, Sidi Ahmad bin Ajiba. Mm-hmm. And um, alhamdulillah, it's uh, uh, with Sidi Abbas, I uh, studied, you know, um, the Qawaid al-Islam of um, Qadi Ayyad. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I learned um, uh, Warsh. And um, alhamdulillah, then uh, the Sheikh would send, you know, um, uh, the great professor, I mean, the great, um, not, well, he, he, he still is a professor, but a retired one, you know, Dr. Taha Abdurrahman, mm-hmm. um, from uh, 84 till, you know, um, uh, 83, 80, no, 94, for a whole decade, um, he would uh, send uh, Dr. Taha Abdurrahman and he would be here for two weeks in Birmingham and um, uh, I I would be the one that you know would um, get you know the lion's share of his time mm-hmm. and spending time with him and I learned so much from him my learning uh, uh, he he you know directed me what to learn and what not to uh, and um, even on the spiritual path, um, uh, my sheikh was, um, you know, Sidi Hamza, but, you know, my mentor mm-hmm. was um, Dr. Taha Rahman. And um, alhamdulillah, you know, um, uh, I even went and stayed um, for a month um, in his house in Morocco. And again, um, bought quite a few books and he told me which ones to buy and which ones not to. And... Um, so there's a couple of questions that come to me when I think you know yes. when, I, when I hear that. So first off, a lot of people who end up as being imams, muftis, maulvis, mullahs, whatever you want to call them, maulanas, a lot of them yes. do it with in a, with a set kind of in a set institution with a set curriculum and there's a certain end point that they will yeah. become the imam of this mosque or they will become a mufti of this institute that's obviously yeah. not what your uh, journey has been what motivated you again my my motivation has always been uh, as i said that you know um uh I was directed to learn the basics and mm-hmm. teach the basics. Because mm-hmm. um, Sidi Hamza's advice was learn knowledge and teach it to the fuqara. Don't let it be a crown by which you put other people down. 
Mm-hmm. So it was never, you know, um, something that you're proud of. Look, um, I've got this now. Um, uh, I'm um, uh, this. It was always uh, uh, you're. We're all together on the path to God, on the journey to God, and um, on the journey, you know, you're still learning, uh, and um, you're learning and teaching at the same time. Okay. And uh, why I never, uh, I'll tell you something that, you know, happened, um, I think it was early 90s. I, so uh, one of the um, mosques in Birmingham, I was asked to teach, you know, a Hanafi text. It's quite strange, a Maliki teaching a Hanafi text, but I, I didn't have a problem because I had learned that in my Hanafi days. Nurulida of Imam Shurum Balali. It's a very basic um, Hanafi text. And um, uh, the local teenagers loved it because, you know, it was someone who spoke English and was teaching them in uh, some something that they could understand rather than Urdu or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, we reached the chapter of um, the conditions of Imam. You know, the conditions of... Um, the person who leads the people in prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chairman of the committee of the mosque came to me and said, look, um, um, we can't afford to keep you on. And I said, look, um, I never charged you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. and, and then he turned around and said, look, um, we don't um, have a tradition of um, teaching and learning at this mosque. I said, look, if you don't want me to teach, why don't you just say, stop? And I'll stop. But you know, you're doing a disservice to your, your own community. He says, that's how it is. I said, that's fine. Um, I found out later that, you know, um, one of the um, assistant imams um, uh, people were talking. Look, these—if the the, the t- young people were look, these are the conditions of the imam, and our imams are not meeting them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I I had I, I had this conversation after that with you know a senior, um, a Hanafi scholar in Birmingham, and um, his advice I I took to heart. He said. Don't give people the opportunity where they can dictate or stop you what to teach and what not to teach. Mm. Uh, Because that happened not only in um, at the Hanafi Mosque, it also happened, you know, um, at the Zawi as well. Because I I do regret, you know, you know, you look back and you say, yes, that was a mistake. So the mistake on my part was that, you know, um, uh, I I should have been more aware of people's, you know, um, sensitivities towards, you know, their own identity. Because mm-hmm. the thing is that, you know, um, uh, Muslims, wherever they come from, they are very sensitive of, you know, um, 
their background and their identity and they find it, you know, um, difficult to, you know, especially when, you know, um, their own young are leaving what they consider is their, you know, um, heritage mm -hmm. or their cultural heritage. Um, again, um, I, I, I stopped teaching at the Zawiya as well, officially. So um, uh, that's why I started teaching in my front room, because no one could tell me. <laughs> you can't teach this, and they can't um, kick me out. Alhamdulillah, um, it served me well. So another question that comes to mind is, is so from this, you are fiercely independent. Uh, you know, you are, you know, there's no... Um, Nobody dictating what you teach, why you teach. There's no agenda, things like that. Mm. Does it not get lonely? Uh, I've always, you know, um, you know, the people that I began with began the journey in the mid 1980s. Um, you know, from that circle of learning and um, of, um, you know, the circle of dhikr. Mm -hmm. Majority of people have moved on. People have, you know, people who I was close to, because, you know, people found um, uh, other paths. Um, people couldn't cope with um, this path. Uh, I mean, tariqa-wise. Mm -hmm. And um, alhamdulillah, uh, still friends, still keep contact with them. Um, but any journey that you're on is a lonely journey. No, uh, there is no, you know, um, company other than your own company. Because at the end of the day, you know, um, this is where, you know, the solace and the relationship in God kicks in because, you know, he is a friend who never lets you down. Wow. And he's always there. The shoulder is always there, you know, metaphorically to cry on. And, um, but alhamdulillah, you know, um, uh, the physical company is there that, you know, um, there's a Naqshbandi um, uh, adage that, you know, um, lonely in company. I, I can't recall that the, there's, um, you know, uh, it's a Farsi saying. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Khalwate dar Okay. Khalwate dar that you know even in company you are alone so you know um, uh, and that's the reality of you know the journey that you are in reality on your own and this is how you know the relationship uh, develops uh, um, with God because you know when you uh, look at you know the physical relationships that you have the friendships you have um, alhamdulillah, if you're blessed, you know, you will have those kind of people that, you know, um, alhamdulillah, I, I have had si since, you know, um, I've known them. Uh, 
the mid 1980s. Um, and there are others that, you know, um, alhamdulillah, you know, some have passed on, um, others have moved on. But the journey is, you know, any journey you take, the journey of knowledge, the journey to God, um, the journey of, you know, any career that you are, uh, even the physical, you know, work, in reality, you are on your own. It's a fascinating way of looking at it, actually. It's, it, and it, you know what? I think there's, go a, on, sorry. I think there's a quote, you, uh, I think it's from Ibn Taymiyyah, that... Uh, Beware, I can't remember. So it's basically along the lines of, you know, uh, be aware of company because even in the dark, your shadow leaves you. MashaAllah. You know, I think. But, but, but the thing is that, you know, anjuman, it's a good one. Hmm. Yeah, I can't remember the exact one. wording, but yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned to me in the past um, that your background isn't. Um, Sunni, um, uh -huh. how much of that had an effect on your journey? Uh, very little. Because the thing is that, you know, um, I was six when I came with my um, uncle and aunt to the UK. Um, they were not very, you know, uh, average uh, practicing. Um, they did weren't educated, uh, I mean, religiously. Um, the only thing that I remember from, you know, um, uh, school days is um, don't go to school today because today's Eid. Um, and then I was um, left, well, I was shipped back to Pakistan for two years because I was picking up bad ideas. Um, I remember those where, you know, there, there, there would be these majlises and people would, you know, beat themselves and so on and so forth. Um, never understood why. And um, as I was telling you before that, you know, when I uh, ended up in Birmingham, um, I actually did go to, because um, I had this urge to learn about mm -hmm. the dean. Mm -hmm. Um, I did go to Clifton Road Mosque. Mm -hmm. So that was my first port of call. And um, the Molana there said, look, um, I'm busy at the moment. Can you come back later? And thank God he was busy. <laughs> the higher power affecting your journey. Yeah. yeah. So where I was living, the local mosque, you know, as I said before, was a Brailvi one. And the other one was... Um, so, I mean, you mentioned slightly in passing as well that you didn't know actually how to recite the Quran properly. Um, yes. Did you know how to I, pray? I, I, I never, I, I was never taught. And did you know how to pray? I was never taught. Wow. It's um, interesting. It's one of the things that... Uh, uh, You'd think if the most foundational things that people should teach you, I suppose, isn't it? True. Um, they did, you know, there, there used to be this auntie that, you know, in Newport that would teach, you know, um, uh, children how to read the Quran. 
uh, I think, uh, if I recall, I was sent to her a couple of times, but uh, apart from that, nothing. Mm-hmm. So all I had was, you know, um, my reading material. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't that much on the dean anyway, apart from, you know, because they were Shia, they had some in English um, on, you know, the tragedy of Karbala and all that. Mm-hmm. Nothing more than that. Nothing more than that. What about later in life then when, you know, now you are, you know, uh, well on this uh, mainstream, orthodox, Sunni perspective, did you find any issues later on? Uh, the, the, of course, there are issues. There are issues. Um, but the issues are more to do with Sunni scholarship rather than, you know, Shia Sunni things. There are Sunni scholarship um, conclusions, but nothing that would be, look, this is, you know, the baggage that I'm bringing from, you know, my inheritance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that could only come if I actually knew yeah. or was taught. So, you know, the cultural thing that's within families, that's all I had. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I still remember now, you know, because um, uh, it was 77, uh, May 77 when I came back. And it was um, 1975 when I was left in, New, uh, in Pakistan. And so, you know, those two years, uh, 76, yeah, 75, 76, yeah. Those two years, uh, you hear... I remember, you know, sitting um, in this one majlis, and this shows, you know, the caliber of scholarship that was there, um, saying, look, uh, this guy was sitting uh, on the stage and saying, look, he's been to the British Museum, and um, they've got, you know, a a piece of the original ark, and, you know, my cousin sitting next to me saying, you're from... You know, Valette, yeah. have, have you seen it? I said, I've never even bloody heard of it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, um, uh, it's um, uh, they have, have these things that, you know, the Shia, they call them zakirs. Okay. Zakirs are, um, you know, half-cooked uh, poetry reciters. Okay. But they are the ones. No, seriously, they are the ones that, you know, even Shia scholars uh, say that, you know, we've let it go out of hand. Because, mm. you know, they are the ones that feed uh, the masses, um, you know. Uh, I, I, I don't want to, you know, offend any, you know, Shia who's um, listening to this. But, you know, um, uh even even Shia scholarship has, you know, a lot to answer, just as, you know, Sunni scholarship has a lot to answer. Mm-hmm. But alhamdulillah, and thumma alhamdulillah, uh, what, you know, the Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah has is they have preserved, you know, there's a, um, uh, it's not something that, you know, we can say. I, I remember my um, father taking me um, uh this is where, uh, in um, a, uh, 89, 88, 89, when I went to get married. And um, 
my father just couldn't um, comprehend how I could, you know, um, not follow the Earl of the Rasul, And I said, look, um, in fiqh, I follow Imam Malik, and Imam, one of Imam Malik's teachers is um, Imam Jafar Sadiq. And um, he took me to this Molana, you know, one of the learned in our town. And um, I said, okay, can you tell me how, you know, the Shia faith developed and spread? He said it developed underground and um, they did not write stuff down because um, they were afraid for their very lives. And I said, you expect me to follow a, fa- a way that can't be even traced back to the Rasul, mm-hmm. because, and I left it at that. Yeah. I left it. Uh, I remember one one of my journey, because, you know, one of the studies that, because I started interacting with my family more uh, after marriage, mm-hmm. um, I started, um, I, I got a translation of the Nahjul Balagha, which is, you know, um, uh, so, the Shia yeah. have, no, the, the Shia have, they, they call it um, uh, Asul Arba. Okay. Um, like, like, like we have, uh, like the Sunnis have um, the six books of Hadith. Mm-hmm. They have, um, you know, Usul Arba. You know, the four principles. One of them is, you know, the Nahjul Balagha, which is, you know, book of um, letters, khutbas, and um, uh, wisdoms of um, Imam Ali alayhi So this was a translation, and. Um, you know, I'll show it to you when you come down next time, inshallah. Mm-hmm. Um, I I went through every page of that. And God's my witness, you know, it strengthened my uh, Sunnism rather than the other way around. It's like and, the, um, the truth is the truth, I, isn't it? The truth is the truth. Yeah, the way. truth is the truth. You can't hide it. Yeah. So... What I did was, so the next time I went back to Pakistan, I went, I asked them, what is, you know, in the Punjab, the most um, famous seat of learning? Mm-hmm. And um, is do they have a bookshop there? So, yeah. So I went to Lahore. I got, you know, the English, tra- uh, uh, the Urdu translation of the Nahjul Balagha. And I marked all the khutbahs out. And I gave them to my brothers and cousins. And um, I said, look, um, take as long as you want, but I would like a conversation. And um, they turned around and said, it's not our book because it goes against what we believe. I said, this is one of what, this is your first book. Yeah. And um, the interesting thing is that, you know, um, uh, my mother-in-law, she's passed away now. Well, all of my, my parents and my um, uh, mother and father-in-law. And um, she laid a condition down when she, my mo- mother-in-law did. She said, you will not convert her to your way. I said, fine, I won't. And I, I kept to my word. I never 
alhamdulillah, you know, um, uh, every time she would go back, because, um, you know, in our family, you know, people, uh, uh, there are Sunnis and, you know, um, Sunnis who know, they will call them Wahhabis. So my, my wife and I are labelled as Wahhabis. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it, it, it's a catch-all term, isn't it? It's like, you know, if, yeah. if ever you want to abuse someone, you just call them a Wahhabi. Yeah, you just call them a Wahhabi. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, um, the, uh, the other day, um, one of my, somebody came to our door. Uh, I do. I couldn't yeah. get to answer the door because I was busy. Yeah. And then later, you know, I've got one of these, um, you know, like uh, ring camera things so I can see, you know, who had come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I looked and it, yes. was, actually, it was actually one of my father's uh, friends had come yes. from the masjid. Yes. He's with the Tablik yes. Jamaat. And yeah. uh, uh, I found out later that Jamaat had come from South Africa and I'm sure I was like, oh, okay, so that's why he's come round, you know, to try okay. and, yeah. And yeah. Uh, my my uh, my, uh, my wife was like, you know, uh, what you know, what's the deal? Why is it that you know your dad and him never really got along very well and all this kind of stuff? I mean, they mm-hmm. were friends, they were colleagues, but mm-hmm. and I said the irony was was that for him, uh, uh, so whenever he tried to get my dad to go on Jamaat, my dad would turn around and say he's a Wahhabi, I'm not going, right? Mm-hmm. And then whenever he tried to get me to go to Jamaat, he, he'd end up calling me the Wahhabi because I was Salafi. <laughs> and it's like you know, one's too Wahhabi, the other one's not Wahhabi enough. You know, <laughs> so, know, so, it, so, so it, it, it has just become a catch or a way of just you know having a go at someone. Yeah, my you know um, uh, my local mosque um, there is a Tablighi Jamaat, Tablighi Bengali mosque. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah, Pakistanis and Bengalis, everyone prays together in there, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, it's been two and a half decades since I moved uh, onto this road. And um, the local Amir now uh, of the Jamaat now is the Amir of um, the Birmingham one now. And um, he he knew me, you know, before I moved. And um, he would always bring, you know, the Arabic speakers and all those to my house and... Um, I would invite them in, give them mm-hmm. a cup of. I said, "Come back, we'll have a cup of tea." And um, he would do, and then he would say, "Iqbal by Gasht Parchaliyu," and I said, "Alhamdulillah, I will go with you. I will go happily and willingly, but you must accept my condition." He said, "Whatever condition," and my condition is to this day is the same condition. We will knock everyone's door. Not just the Muslims' doors. No, we will knock everyone's door. And to this day, he has not, you know, taken me on the gasht. Alhamdulillah, now he's stopped. He's given up on me. <laughs> but my condition was that I will go, but we will knock everyone's door. And the, uh, Alhamdulillah, you know, um, you, you look at, you know, khair where, from wherever it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um uh, there's good that flows from uh, all people, yeah. Muslim or non-Muslim, yeah. and you should appreciate, you know, the good. And if it's bad, alhamdulillah, it's bad, but, you know, appreciate, you know, the good. And the tabligh uh, have done a lot of good, yeah. a lot of good. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, 
it's like you know for, for the, uh, in their specific role and in with the specific type of people that they normally you know try and you know call yeah. out to they've done a lot of good I mean that can't, that, that, it, can't, it, it can't be denied you know people who no. are gangsters people who are drug dealers drunks whatever yes. you know now yeah. you know attending the mosque you know um, yeah. and things like that you know th- that that uh, you know cleaned up their lives as it were you yes, know. of course. Uh, you know. Um, okay, so since you are very much, I'm not going to use my religious knowledge to earn money. Yes. What did you decide uh, would be something that's consistent with your beliefs, or did or was that okay? I'm just going to have a career which is completely separate to you know, my spiritual and Islamic journey, you know, I'm just going to work in an office. I'm mm. just going to, you know, pay the bills. Mm. Mm. Uh, I was, you know, the last generic um, social work assistant in Birmingham. Okay. And um, I left that role to train as a social worker because I really liked working with people. All my life, I've always worked with people one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then uh, it was a two-year co- uh, diploma course uh, to get, you know, a certificate in social work. Uh, first year I completed, second year I couldn't because uh, of health reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I was unemployed. Um, and then, you know, because of family pressure, um, uh, I I did um, you know pri- private hire. Okay, taxis. Uh, private uh, private hire. I did that for just under six months, and then uh, a friend of mine said, "Look, why don't you um, uh, do the same thing in Solihull?" Mm-hmm. Then I got did it, did that for a couple of months. Then, uh, why don't you do the black cab thing? Mm-hmm. I got the folder, did that, passed that, so I, I, I became a black cab driver. I used to work from, you know, the international train station. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, the drivers there said, um, you should go for the airport test. Mm-hmm. So I did that. So um, on and off, uh, I did uh, 10 years. Wow. But before the cab thing, um, my ideal, you know, uh, a, a job that, you know, you really enjoyed, I still reminisce about it. It was from, you know, um, 1983 till 1989. I was the development officer, neighborhood development officer in Hay Mills. Mm-hmm. It was an amazing job because uh, it was a... Uh, a charity called, you know, Birmingham Young Volunteers, mm-hmm. and um, they had two. They had projects where uh, they would work, go into, you know, um, an inner city area or deprived area, and they would work with, you know, the youth of that area, mm-hmm. and develop them uh, to such a degree where they would, you know, develop the area, you know, locally, 
what their needs were. And then once the project was kicking away and um, it could survive, then you would move on to another area. Mm-hmm. So I uh, was in charge of, you know, the project in Hay Mills. And um, alhamdulillah, it, it was really good. We got, you know, um, in those days, we got, you know, um, over £100,000 to buy a building to where the project will be based. and um, But what happened in between, this is the late 1980s now. Um, I don't know if you can recall, you know, the Birmingham riots in the 1980s? I was, I was a bit young. I know that they happened, but I wasn't okay. around. They happened, but they didn't happen in small lethal hay mills. They happened in Lozells and yeah. Hansworth. Yeah. Yeah. So funding was cut. Uh, I was made redundant. Okay. And after that, I uh, got a job as a social work assistant. And after that, you know what I was saying before. And um, uh, after the taxi, um, I was asked by a local charity to, because um, um, the head of the charity was retiring and um uh, they wanted someone to take over, and um, they would. I would um, uh, shadow, you know, the cha- uh, he- head of the charity, and um, Alhamdulillah, you know, I was there for nearly um, four years. Uh, the head of the charity changed his mind; he didn't want to retire yet, and um, anyway. Uh, the long and short of it was that I left. And until um, after that, I um, some of my students said, why don't you do a master's? I was about to get to that, actually. So, yes, the uh, I was actually going to get to that point of um, mm-hmm. if you're such a bookworm and, you know, have yeah. always been at so much interest, did you not ever yeah. think about pursuing this more academically? Uh, the thing is, uh, as I said, uh, I ended up um, going and doing my master's uh, at, you know, um, Markfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, the degree was by given by you know, New um, New Newham University in you know, Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, alhamdulillah, it, it was good. The way that you know, um, referencing and researching, uh, the researching wasn't new, but you know, the way of um, referencing that that was you know very beneficial for me, and also you know, um looking at, you know, just one point and then looking at the ramifications of it and looking at, you know, uh, from an angle that no one else has looked at. Um, that was interesting. So the, the, so the kind of the method. And did you, did you, then, yeah. ap- did you then apply that method to uh, your general Islamic studies as well? The thing is that uh, it, it I, I do. 
um, you know, this whole uh, looking at it, you know, you, you know, it's very difficult to look at anything objectively because, you know, we as creatures, we're very emotional creatures. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to, you know, um, become very clinical. Uh, and um, any aspect of any, you know, religion, there is emotion attached. For someone to say that, you know, um, uh, this has to be totally objective, humanly, it's not possible. Mm. Because, you know, anybody who says that needs to think of it again. And, you know, appreciating, uh, you know, the diversity uh, um, within our traditions. Because the thing is that, you know, people on the course came from, you know, uh, uh, all... all, um, All sorts, basically. All sorts, yeah, all sorts. But alhamdulillah, I, I, um, uh, people have always said, why, why, why don't you study further? Well, I don't think anybody would um, fund, you know, a PhD. Oh, in yeah. oh, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> You know, uh, we know people who've managed to get all sorts of funding in all sorts of ways, you know, so I'm sure uh, I'm sure it'll be done. And I think, to be fair, you know, you be joking aside, I do think the one attraction that a lot of people have with Maliki Fik, I mean, there's lots of attractions, let's be honest, but yes. one of them is uh, the fact that it seems to, because of its experience in Andalusia, so, you know, living in a yeah. multicultural kind of environment. Yes. There's a lot of the issues, the maslas, whatever, that uh, come that we come across as Muslims in the West um, yes. that have already been addressed. You know, we don't necessarily have to go and reinvent the wheel. Somebody already looked at the issue a thousand years ago. Um, and so I think that's, I mean, and that's why you find quite, a f- I think that's one of the reasons anyway, that you find so many uh, converts to Islam, whether they're famous or not famous, have have you know have uh, like a Maliki background. Whether we're talking about Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, whether we're talking about the Norwich community, um, I may be wrong, but I, I wonder if that's one of the draws. I I I, I think that you know uh, the Norwich community. Um, became Maliki because of, um, uh, you know, Sheikh Muhammad ibn al-Habib, rahmatullah that, that was the sole reason. Because um, uh, if they had um, come across, you know, a Naqshbandi Sheikh from um, uh, South Asia or Turkey, they would have been Hanafi. So you, you, think it it's wasn't, more, you think it's more of an accident of history than... Yes, it's not by design. Okay. They actually... They actually didn't go looking. Uh, oh, we want to connect to you know the uh, Muslim um, uh, heritage of um, uh, Western Europe. It was just that you know, um, uh, Sidi Muhammad ibn al Habib, because you know he was a qualified scholar, mm-hmm. like you know Sidi Hamza was. Um, 
uh, he had uh, both had finished, you know, the syllabus of the Qarawin, which is an 18-year uh, syllabus. And um, Sidi Muhammad ibn al-Habib had written down uh, the works that they should study. Okay. So the works that they ended up translating are the works that, you know, Sidi Muhammad ibn al-Habib had asked them to study. And then, you know, um, through Sidi Muhammad ibn al-Habib's connections uh, in uh, from Meknes and the Karween, uh, they uh, tapped into, you know, the Maliki scholarship there. Mm. And that's where the connection happened. And um, with um, uh, uh, Sidi Muhammad, uh, um, Hamza Yusuf, um, his his is um, connecting with you know the Mauritanian diaspora um, in the Khalij. Okay. Um, and through them, uh, beginning again with the syllabus, learning. And then going and visiting um, Mauritania and uh, meeting um, uh, Sheikh Murabit al Hajj, Rahmatullah Ali. Mm -hmm. um, but what um, uh, Sheikh um, uh, Abdul Qadir, uh, Sufi, mm -hmm. uh, Rahmatullah Ali, he's passed away now. What he did do, which was, you know, uh, historic, which was first time it had happened. That you know he got um, someone like you know um, you know qualified Maliki ulama on English ground because you know when he organized you know a a, a conference mm -hmm. and he invited them and you know um, Dr Umar Abdullah Farooqi yeah. Um, uh, he was there as well, and um, uh, I've only heard this, you know, from people who, who were there at that time. Uh, the Mauritanian scholars were asked, um, can we carry on living and raising our children in this country? They said, no problem at all, but you must teach them the basics of the team. Hmm. If you can't, then they just quoted Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ardullahi Wasiya. Mm. That you know the earth of Allah is vast. Yeah. Yeah. And um, alhamdulillah, you know, um, uh, that's what they began, um, you know, um, uh, teaching. You know, um, and alhamdulillah, you know, any community that um, uh, begins teaching the basics of the deen. Uh, will you know um, prosper? Yeah, will prosper. And you know, alhamdulillah, you know, um, uh, Sheikh um, Abdul Qadir um, Sufi is credited for you know the Norwich community, and of course he was their Sheikh. But you know, people like um, Sheikh um, uh, Abdul Haq Buli, Hafidullah, you know, uh, shouldn't be sidelined. He very senior man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and. Um, uh, with his wife, he has done, you know, so much. Yeah. You know, translating and um, establishing, uh, you know, communities all over wherever their um, tariqa has gone. Mm -hmm. 
But um, again, uh, if you look at, you know, um, uh, Sidi Hakim Murad, mm -hmm. you know, Dr. TJ Winters, yeah. um, uh, uh, and his research um, in the East, you know, um, in the Balkans, the Muslims had, you know, scholarship, they had their institutes. In, yeah, true. Yeah. But the thing is that, you know, um, because Andalusia is closer to home than, you know, the Balkans. Yeah. And, you know, the mines that, you know, um, Andalusia produced and, you know, their unique way of thinking and a very, you know, uh, Andalusian way of thinking. Um, alhamdulillah. It's something that, you know, you find, because, you know, when you go to um, Morocco, you find they still have, you know, the Sakli quarter, you know, the Andalusi quarter. Sakli is, you know, Sicilian. Okay. All right. Yeah? The Andalusian, you know, Masjid Andalus, you know, uh, 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 you know, the, the Kerwin Mosque was built by one Sita, Fatima al-Fahri. Her sister built the uh, uh, Masjid al-Andalus. You know, it's actually in the Andalusi quarter. Wow. So, um, alhamdulillah, you know, um, uh, it, it's all there. It's, um, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, the, the, the Maliki heritage of, um, you know, um, the for the West is too deep and too vast to ignore. You know, um, Sheikh Murabit al uh, Hajizam said, Sheikh um, Abdul Rahman, Hafidullah, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he visited my uh, the room that I'm sitting in, you know, where my books are, mm -hmm. and um, he was telling me about, you know, um, uh, Hafiz ibn Abdul Bar. And, you know, when you open the book, he says, look, this is where it is. You know, King, the king, the English king at that time wrote a letter to, you know, the uh, Muslim king of Cordoba, if he would send or uh, Hafiz ibn Abdul Bar to, uh, to England to train the prince. Wow. The next king. Or... Uh, if the prince could come and if Hafiz ibn Abdul Bar could teach him. Wow. That's and then, you know, in 1987, okay. you know, in my first trip to Morocco, Sidi Taha took me to um, uh, the palaces in Salim, you know, uh, in Rabat. Mm -hmm. um, the palaces to this day is called the English Queen's Palace. Is the English Queen's Palace? Wow! And you you try digging it up in English, it does not pop up. But you go there, they tell you this is the English Queen's Palace. Well, well, I think on that uh, bombshell. It's time to yeah, it's time to, time to go. No, on that as as the guys in Top Gear would say, on that bombshell. I I know it's coming up to Maghrib time. And uh, I know I've, uh, I've taken a lot of your time already, uh, no, no, no. Sheikh. Thank you very much for this uh, chat.
it's um it's been illuminating for me and i hope for all the other listeners uh, that have been listening if anybody has any questions um yeah, for the Sheikh, he's available on Facebook. You can always contact me at Atypical Doctor. And uh, thank you very much for listening. And uh, see you again next time. Inshallah. Okay. Yeah.